Before we uh, jump right into the sermon, I want to give a couple announcements. We have some really set aside some time for that this morning. Um, first, women's retreat, March the 7th and the 8th. You can start signing up now in the foyer uh, right out here. Uh, the ministry table, there's sign-up sheets, there's information out there for the women's retreat. It's always, the women's retreat is always awesome. So it's a great way to get plugged in. Make sure you sign up and uh, become a part of that. Also, Mason Serves, there should be, be some flyers out on your seat for Mason Serves. That's next Saturday, November the 9th. It's really serving people within Mason, usually the elderly, people who can't take care of some of the things themselves around their house. Um, great opportunity to serve there as well. Uh, Christmas decorating, November the 17th, a little bit earlier than usual because of the way the calendar lays out. We want to get started on that, actually outside and inside. We've got so many Christmas trees out there, we're going to decorate them up a little bit. So um, if you'd like to be a part of that, make sure you come on November the 17th after second service. Um, one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're having a little a friendly competition, the men and the women of the church. Really, the staff started this. And the women always have uh, some, some event. I don't know what it's called. But um, the men are going to have a jerky exchange, okay, on, the, on December the 14th. Now, you're not going to want to miss this. It's going to change your whole life. The women are doing something as well. I'm not really sure what it is, but they're doing something as well. Um, and you can look in your bulletin and read about it. Uh, so make sure, guys, make sure that you are at the Jerky Exchange on the 14th of December. Mark your calendars. Make sure you're there. If you're not there, you're not a man, okay? That's all I can say to you. You have to be there, okay? We can't lose this. It's basically who gets the most people there. The Women's Ornament Exchange is on December the 2nd, I believe. I think I'm right. Um, which is usually a fantastic event. I can't tell you what it's going to be like this year, but it's usually great. Um, but I can tell you the jerky exchange is going to be awesome. So let's have a little bit of fun and fill those whatever. We're going to be over here in the building over here in the Grace Impact Center for the jerky exchange. Uh, location will be announced uh, for the different events, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's, let's invite people, women, men, let's invite people. Let's have a great time. One last thing. As you know, our archery ministry has really exploded. Um, we're in almost any school, elementary school, junior high and high school around here. We've, re- we've reached out to probably 8,500 to 9,000 students at this point, teaching them archery in the public schools. They invite us in. They love it. Our guys are out there three, sometimes four, uh, four weeks, four days a week teaching in the schools. What's happening is we're having, uh, we didn't really budget for this, but we need more equipment because now with the new camp that we partnered with, along with the schools, we're going to more schools and more frequently. It is extremely difficult to load up all the equipment from the building, get it in in the van, take it over to the school, because we have 15 classes, 15 classes uh, going on over here in the Grace Impact Center for archery. So it's hard to load it up, take it out, reset it up. So we're asking if anyone has a heart to um, kind of above and beyond your normal giving to give $2,500 to buy all new equipment that we can load into our trailer in our van and just leave it there and take it to the camp and take it to the, you know, the, the events that we do. We do a lot of events now as well. So we need, we need equipment just for that, for the camp uh, for the school visits, all the things that we do. So if you have a heart to, uh, maybe God puts that in your heart to participate in helping out with that, even if you can help out with some of that. We didn't budget for it because we didn't really anticipate, again, the, 
it was great last year, but it's even gotten larger this year. And it's a phenomenal opportunity to reach out to our community. So if you'd like to be a part of that, just talk to me or talk to Pastor Kevin, either one, and we'll be glad to, uh, to uh, let, give you more information about that. All right. We are in the series called Remnant, even if you are the last voice. And I've been trying to find characters in the, in the Word of God that you may have never heard of before. Um, keep us on our toes, and plus it's exciting to learn something new. And I mean, Christians have been here for, been Christians for like 30, 40 years are saying, where did you find that guy, or where did you find her? Um, and I like that, because there's, so, there's such richness in the Word of God if we just dig a little bit deeper. So in Judges chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, it says this, After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar named Tola, son of Pa, son of Dodo, rose to save Israel. He lived in Shamir, in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried in Shamir. He was followed by Jer of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. They controlled 30 towns in Gilead, which, is to this, which, which to this day are called Havath Jer, where Jer died. When Jer died, he was buried in Cayman. Now, let's be honest. Most of you have never, ever, ever heard, right, of Tola and Jer. But that's because the Bible doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't really talk about them that much. They have a little more written about them than Shamgar, but they also didn't have an ox goat. So he has that. Shamgar has that on them because ox goats are cool. They are now after our sermon a few weeks ago. So they had a little more written about them word-wise, if you will, counting the words, than Shamgar. But, 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 you know, just because a lot is not written about them doesn't mean they're unimportant characters. I mean, God would not have put them in his word if they were, if they were unimportant it's just that, the, it's just that their, their ministry um, wasn't recorded as much as others. So some of the things they did were, uh, were not recorded. Both served a good number of years. Um, Tola served for 23 years, and Jer served for 22 years. They, they led Israel for 22 and 23 years. Now, so what does the Bible tell us about our man here, Tola? Well, not much, again, because it's, there's not much written about him on the surface. But if we start looking at context, okay, we start looking before and after their, their, their time of ministry, we can glean a lot from what the Bible tells us. So what do we know about, about Tola? Okay, the Bible tells us maybe who, he tells us who his parents were, his grandfather and his father, um, where he came from, and then where he died. But the fact that his name is mentioned, wouldn't you, like, wouldn't you like to be named, I mean, mentioned in the Bible? The fact that his name was mentioned tells us that he uh, was, was widely known and therefore was a man of some importance. Now, we know again that he was uh, a leader. He was a judge, a leader for 23 years. But what else does the Bible tell us about his ministry? Well, the Bible tells us a few things. First, that he came after Abimelech. This is important. It says it in the first verse there, okay? After Abimelech. 
He came after Abimelech. This is key. This is really important because, again, I want you to look at context. What happens? Context is what happens before the passage you're reading, okay, and after the passage, okay, and obviously through it, but before and after. And, again, you can glean a lot of cool stuff from the Word of God if you read a little bit before and a little bit after. So he came after Abimelech, and that's key. Abimelech, in New York terminology, was a bum, okay? The guy was a bum. He really was. That's, and that's being nice. Abimelech was not a nice man. He was a cruel man, and he caused a lot of grief. He killed all but one of the sons of Gideon. Killed them all. Actually, his stepbrothers, if you will. Some were his brothers, stepbrothers. Uh, he killed all but one of the 70 sons of Gideon so he could seize the leadership from Gideon when Gideon passed away, right? So he kills all the sons of Gideon except for one. He brought about destruction and death wherever he went. He was not, again, not a good man. This is a good part. He was finally killed. And I, I kind of, I think I find this amazing sometimes in the word of God, how people die. And I, I don't think it's a mistake um, how it's all laid out. But he's killed when he's attacking a city and he chases everybody into a tower and they're in this tower hiding and a woman takes a millstone. You ever seen a millstone? If you don't, if you don't know what a millstone is go, go, is, go look it up, okay? Google it. It's a millstone. It's a big mills, it grinds. So a woman shoves a millstone out of the tower and it lands on him and it kills him. But this is how arrogant the guy is. This, is, this gives you an indication of the kind of, of, kind of man he was. Before he dies, now he's going to die either way. Before he dies, he calls one of his armor bearers over and says, run me through with the sword. Because I don't want it to go down in history that I was killed by a woman. Okay? But it's recorded. You were killed by a woman. I don't care who ran you through with a sword or not. You were, you were killed because a big old millstone fell on your head from a woman pushing it out of a tower. So he's killed that way, but he doesn't want to go down into history as someone who was killed by a woman. So after the death, so we have, we have Abimelech, and, and after his death, okay, all the things that, he, all the things that, he, uh, that Israel goes through, after his death, um, Judges 9.55 says this, When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Now, this is important. There must have been, think about it, there must have been a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion after, the, after that woman pushed that millstone on his head. I want to keep repeating that just to make sure you get the... <laughs> he was killed by a woman with a millstone, not by the guy with the sword. Okay, so after the death of Abimelech, though, there must have been a lot... Of, you think about it. Think about your, the, the way the world works. There must have been a lot of chaos and confusion. A lot of, a lot of chaos and confusion. Uh, and and, and you've got to ask yourself, what, you know, what might have happened after this? What, you know, what, what's going on here? Think, you just think about what, what could have happened after the death of Abimelech. Maybe someone else. Who else was going to take power after this guy Abimelech is killed? Some other arrogant murderer? Right? That's what normally happens. But in this case... In this case, God provides a good leader in the person of Tola. So after Abimelech comes Tola, and God provides Tola. He's a good guy. You're thinking, well, how do you know he's a good guy? Not much is written about him. Well, let me, let me share a few thoughts. First, the Bible tells us that he rose to save Israel. Okay? 
So he rose up to save Israel. Remember in the series we were doing not very long ago, Great to Good, I said in the very first sermon in Great to Good that in order to really seek out the truth sometimes, you need to dig below the surface. To get to the heart of what's going on, sometimes you need to dig below the surface. And if we dig below the surface here, what we're going to find is that, um, that, that the Israelites, after Tola and Jer, okay, after their, their time of leadership, the Israelites fell back into idolatry. Okay, so after them, before them, you have Abimelech. All right. So they had to come after him, which is not an easy task. And we'll explain a little bit more later. But then after them, the Israelites fall back into idolatry, which means the Israelites were faithful to God during their time of leadership. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, you you think about it, how many years that was. And the Israelites were faithful to the Lord and did not fall back into idolatry. So, so Tola did save Israel. Now you might be thinking, what did he save Israel from? I mean, what, what, what exactly did he save Israel from? Well, let me give you a few thoughts. First, from the chaos and turmoil that the death of Abimelech left behind. I mean, again, give, give some thought to this. Just, just let your mind wander what usually happens in situations where you have a leader like Abimelech and then, then he's gone. Then he just, God put Tola in that position right on the heels, okay, of a madman. Right on the heels of an absolute madman. Have you ever had to, in your life, go into a situation, and I know some of you who do this for a living, you go in when you see there's chaos in the business, there's turmoil in the business, there's fighting going on in the business, there's all kinds of things going on, and you have to come in and you have to rectify that situation. You have to bring calm. You have to bring peace. You've got to turn it around. You've got to turn that company around. Or you go into an office or something, and the office is just a mess, and you have to go in. I don't mean just physically a mess. I mean it's just a mess. It's not organized. And you have to go in and use your skills to turn that around. You know, it's not easy going into a board or going into an organization or going into a business or going into a country or going to anything where the person before you was a madman. I mean, we're just, I'm I'm sure he wasn't a benevolent leader who who put all kinds of good structure and policies in place. I mean, and all of a sudden he's gone because a woman drops a millstone at his head. I want to mention that again. Um, Now he's gone, okay? What are you going to do? Tola and Jer did an excellent job. Did an excellent job. I think we can also conclude from what we learn as we study, we dig a little deeper, is that he saved them from external enemies, okay? External enemies. Where do I get that from? Because at the time where you had Tola and Jer in power, if you will, again, they were faithful to God. It says, though, after, okay, in the verses that follow, it says that Israel went back into captivity for 18 years. They fell into idolatry, went back into captivity for 18 years. 18 years. So again, what, what Tola did was save them from external enemies. The enemies, they're camped on the border, okay, waiting for an opportunity. While these guys are in charge, they don't get that opportunity. But when they're gone, we learn that Israel went back to its idol- into idolatry and was then sent into captivity for 18 years, obviously by the external enemies who came in and enslaved them. Also, 
Wherever else in the book of Judges where the word saved is used, it is always used to talk about the salvation, about salvation from external enemies. So when you see the word saved in the book of Judges, when that word is used, it's always used in the book of Judges to talk about salvation from external enemies. So we know that, that Tola and Jer saved Israel from external enemies, which is no small feat, okay? It is extremely difficult, and these guys were able to pull it off. I think we can learn a lot. You think, well, Tola, I never even heard of him. How, how much can we learn from him? I think we can learn a lot of practical uh, things for our lives, some, some good life lessons from both Tola and Jer. One is that no matter how difficult things are, no matter how bad things get, evil does not get the last word. Evil does not get the last word. The Abimelechs of this world do not win in the end. Okay? They don't win. They don't have the last word. They don't win. So Abimelech didn't get the last word because someone came after him. God raised up someone after him. The, the chaos and the confusion uh, that, 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 that those kind of Abimelechs caused or will cause is overcome by God's remnant. God will send someone, God will use his power to overcome the evil that is in your life, the things that are going on in your life. God always has the last word, always. Evil never wins and has the last word in this world. It may seem that way sometimes because we can't see into the future. We don't know what the next 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 years is going to look like. But God will have the last word when it comes to our country, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to all of those things. Because after Abimelech, I love this, after every Abimelech is a Tola, is a Jer, is a Ehud or a Shamgar or a Gideon who brings hope for the future. We all go through different seasons of life. Israel went through seasons of life, obedience and disobedience. And when they went through disobedience, they went into captivity. And when their hearts were changed and they cried out to God, God sent them a savior. God sent them a deliverer. Now, we can be encouraged even here this morning because the Bible is true and the Bible tells us in Psalm 23, 4 and 5, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Some of you need to hear that. You're walking through some dark valleys right now. I mean, really tough, really challenging. And on what scale? I don't always know everything because not everyone tells me, but I know that a lot of people in this church are walking through some, some dark valleys. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, you may be facing some challenges right now in your life. Let me tell you something. If you stand with God, he will have the last word in your life. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter what challenges you're facing right now. If you stand with God, if you hold on to him, he will have the last word in your life. Okay, what about Jer? He was a judge in Israel for 22 years. 
He died, uh, he died in the town of Cayman in the region of Gilead. And his name means uh, enlightenment or, or shines. He enlightens or shines. So it's a, good, it's a good solid name. See, when I first read this, though, there was, some, there was something that really jumped out at me, and it was, it was basically these words. So I'm reading it to you again. He had 30 sons, okay? Which you have 30 sons usually means you have daughters as well. So you had a boatload of kids there, and usually if that's the case in the Bible, it, th- those 60 kids are not coming from one woman, okay? <laughs> Women are like, you're darn right they're not, okay? So they're not coming. So they had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. You know, had, they all had cars, um, they also had 30 towns, which are called Havath Jair, towns of Jair to this day. Now, I don't want to take away from the good that he did, because he did good. I just laid out, you know, told on what he did, but Jair, the same thing. A lot of the same principles apply to him as well. So I don't want to take away from the good that Jair did, but I think we can also learn from, from people's weaknesses. I think we can learn from, from the choices, the poor choices that they make, to help us um, lead a good life, to learn from some of the things that they did that we should not do. And we learn some really good life lessons from the good that we get from Jer and from the, the poor choices that Jer uh, probably made. First, human rulers are always flawed, okay? Always. Human rulers are always, always flawed. Under Jer, like Tola, Israel kept their eyes focused on God, right? So I'm, I'm saying he was good. He was a good man. He was a good man. And through his time, Israel was able to keep their eyes focused on God. But power almost always corrupts. Am I right? Give someone power, it almost always corrupts that person. It's so difficult for us to accept as humans. I was thinking about this week. It's so difficult for us to accept as human beings that when God gives us power or authority, when God gives us power or influence, it's so hard for us to accept the fact that God wants us to see ourselves as humble servants as servant leaders, he gives us the, apow- the power, the authority. He gives us those things so that we can use them as humble servants, as servant leaders, investing our life and our time into other people, using the power that we have for good. It is so difficult for us to grasp that concept because we always have this unquenchable desire for, for, for us in our hearts to display our greatness, to display our position, to display our power, to display our, 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 our influence, you know, those who are around us, our, our sphere of influence. We have this unquenchable need, this unquenchable desire when God gives us that authority and gives us that power to let everyone else around us know it in no uncertain terms. Even if it's false humility, name dropping here and there a lot or or letting people know this or now not all that's wrong you're having a conversation but we we as human beings find it very difficult not to not to take that power and use it to our advantage what you think about this when people have power what do politicians call themselves i didn't say what you call them i said what do politicians call themselves all right public servants correct that's what they are. They're public servants. I know a lot of politicians, and I know that they are public servants. They got into that area of, of their lives so they could serve the public. So 
politicians will call themselves, or we call them public servants. The question I have is, how many of them, though, live up to that title? Public servants, servant leaders. How many of them see themselves in that role, see themselves as a servant to others? Same thing when you take over, if your business starts to skyrocket. I have watched humble men and women turn into arrogant people when they get successful. They're different. They are changed. They are completely changed human beings. When they, were, when they were working their way up, there was a humility there. They listened to other people. But all of a sudden, they got that power, and that changed. They got in that business. That business grew. They had some resources. And all of a sudden, it was like their, their whole demeanor just completely transformed. And it wasn't for the good. When God gives us power and authority, he wants us, to, wants us to see ourselves as public servants. Abraham Lincoln said this, I love it. Nearly all men, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's true character, give him power. Almost all people, men and women, can stand adversity. Man, I've watched some of you go through the most adverse, some of the adversity that would, oh, it was just, it's incredible what you can withstand. But Abraham Lincoln said, most people can go through adversity, but if you want to test a person's character, give them power. Totally agree. Something happens when you have that kind of power. And we see it in the life of Gideon. Again, don't, don't think poorly of Gideon. Gideon is a good man. He did good things. But here's what happens. Gideon then gets the power. Israel, the Israelites come to Gideon and say, Gideon, you're the man. You are the man. We want you to be our king. We want you you to rule us and your children to rule us and your grandchildren to rule us. You are awesome. Gideon, the good man, does the right thing and he says, no, God is your ruler. God can oversee us all. And he turns him down. Good move on Gideon's part. But then he makes an ephod for himself, an ephod, and he, he sets it up in his hometown. Now, an ephod is a, a, a priestly garment, okay? And it is incredible. It is, for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you'll understand the, 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 the meaning and the significance of this a little more. And those of you who are still growing, you'll, you'll understand it. So remember what I'm saying. All right, it's a priestly garment. The priest, the high priest wore this into the Holy of Holies in the temple of God. Okay? So now, remember we talked about Saul and he, he sacrificed and different people would sacrifice, make sacrifices, and it was, I said, hey, they want to be king and priest. Who needs a priest when you have the king, right? They, they, took, they took authority and power that wasn't theirs. Gideon is doing the same thing here. He makes his priestly garment okay, for himself, and, and he puts it in, in, his, in his hometown. It kind of hangs in his little hole. Look at this. Check it out. This, this priestly garment is like gold. It's, gold. it's gorgeous. It is, it is, it is an elaborate, um, elaborate piece of, of work. It's gold. It has purple. It's got blue. It's just, it, it, you see it, and it's just breathtaking. But again, Gideon was not given the authority by God to do that. So he sets it up in his hometown and Judges 8.27 tells us how that all turned out. It says, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he, which he placed in Oprah, his hometown. All Israel, all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there 
and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Gideon not only does that, okay, so he's got power. Now he has power. What else does he do? What every other guy does most of the time in the Bible. He goes out and gets over the whole bunch of wives, right? Got a bunch of wives, right? So he has a bunch of wives and he has a whole, he has 70 boys, right? 70 boys. When I read that, first time I read that, I'm thinking, dude, how does his wife have 70 because I'm thinking to myself, if he had 70 boys, he had to have like 70 girls too. <laughs> now I know a woman, woman we can't you know, have that many kids. So he goes out and gets himself a bunch of wives and he gets himself, he has 70 boys. Who knows how many girls as well. In those days, you have to understand the size of your family, especially when it comes to boys, displays your status and your position in life. So you got those 70 boys, okay? You have this huge family, so that, that's kind of telling everyone around you, hey, hey, look at me. Look how, look how well I'm doing. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is extremely important. Again, gleaning context, one side or the other. This is, this is extremely important. Gideon's desire to have multiple wives and multiple offspring brought about Abimelech. Abimelech was born from one of Gideon's um, concubines. So, he, you know, if you have one wife and she has a, whatever amount of kids that you can have with one wife, Abimelech is not born. Abimelech ends up killing all but one of Gideon's sons and wiping out like the whole family. He kills all his like stepbrothers and sisters, kills them all, has them all killed. So that obviously he can, he can assume power when Gideon is gone. So you wouldn't have Abimelech if you didn't have disobedience and a prideful attitude. See, disobedience and, a, and, a prideful, deci- and prideful decisions have far-reaching consequences, far-reaching results. It doesn't just, oh, yeah, I can break this rule and break that one. God, you know, it's, it's, it's written for most people, but not for me. When you break God's law, there are consequences. Some are severe, some maybe not so severe. But when you break the law of God, when you break God's principles there are consequences of breaking those principles and i believe we see the same thing in jer can't have that many boys and that many girls okay unless you have multiple wives so jer fell into the same thing 30 sons on 30 donkeys with 30 cities named after him he wanted his personal greatness and glory on display doesn't mean he's a horrible person raise your hand if you know it's like we we all fall into that sometimes doesn't mean he was a horrible leader, a terrible person. It means that he fell short in this area. Deuteronomy 17, 17. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, God says that he does not want the leaders, those who will lead Israel, to have multiple wives. But to be obedient to this principle would have limited their display of, of, of personal glory. You can't have that. See, if, they, if they're obedient to God and they're obedient to this principle, then they're not going to be able to display in their culture having all these kids and everything else their, their personal glory. Very few, if any, any in Israel's history obeyed God in this area. Little, little, uh, little side note, little side note here. Um, just because something is stated in the Bible, and it's true, just because it's stated and it's true doesn't mean God is pleased with it. Some people go, I can't believe that. There's a, you know, God, how could God... Just because God states the truth in his word doesn't mean he's going along with it. It's just true. It's what they did, okay? 
So keep that in your mind when you're reading through the Bible and you're going, I can't believe, I can't. It's the truth. I don't want to tell you. The Bible is filled with sinners who are men and women who are going to make choices that are not always the best choices. God says, thou shalt not, and they shall anyway. I mean, they do it anyway. So, but that doesn't mean that God is always pleased with it. See, it goes back to our greatest sin, and our greatest sin is pride. We want to be remembered by men more than we want to be obedient to God. Therein lies the problem. We want the praise of men. We want to be remembered, okay, on this earth by men more than we want to be obedient to God. We want towns named after us, and if not towns, monuments to our greatness in some way. If I can't get a town named after me, or 30 towns named after me, then bring down the scale. I I somehow want some kind of monument to my greatness, whatever it is. We want our treasures, if you will, here on earth. But the problem with that is, the Bible tells us this earth is not our home. We are just passing through. And whether we're remembered like David or Tola or Jer, what really matters is not the praises of men, but the pleasure of God. That's what we should be striving for. The pleasure of God on this earth that you know that God is pleased with you. You know what you did. And I mean in a good way. You know what you accomplished. You know you did it for the Lord. You know that you stepped out in faith and you were bold. And though no one may see it, because some things, you know, greatness happens in the home. There are great moms who do incredible work with their children, okay? And, and, and they do incredible work with their families, and they do great things, but maybe no one ever sees it. All the little things that you do, I, I say this, and I'll say it again. I believe when we get to heaven, the people with the biggest mansions, if you will, will be people you've never heard of. You'll be like, who lives what? You know, however God lays it all out, whatever heaven is, 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 is like... I'm telling you, the people who will, be, who will have those positions, if you will, okay, will be people that you may have never heard of because they were faithful. They were missionaries who went to Africa and they packed their coffins filled with their stuff because they knew they weren't coming home. And not because they couldn't get in a boat and come back, because they knew that when they got there, they were going to preach the gospel as far as they could get, and then they were going to be killed or they were going to die of some kind of disease. They packed their stuff in their coffins. Please tell me, those are the kinds of people that God looks at and goes, wow, well done, my good and faithful servants. Some of these other people, uh, Ravi Zacharias said, Christian, Christian um, fame okay, um, is an oxymoron. You know who were the famous Christians of old? Martyrs. They died for their faith. God can do amazing things through humble people. And pride is sometimes our greatest, I think almost always, it leads us to do things we would never think of doing. I don't care how young or old you are. It leads us down a road that we never thought we would go because we want, we want the praise of men more than we want the pleasure of God. I was driving through Hamilton last week and I was driving down Hamilton, the main street there in Hamilton. I saw a, a statue atop a beautiful building that was perched there. You know what I mean? It was in the backdrop of the, 
of the, the landscape, you know, the sky, and there was a statue, and it was awesome. You know what I saw? A bunch of pigeons pooping on it. And I thought to myself, there it is, Greer. There it is. At the end of the day, if you're striving for that, what's going to happen is you're going to have a bunch of birds pooping on your head and people driving by and knowing they don't know who you are from a hole in the ground. Right? And that's what we spend our lives seeking after, the praises of men and not the pleasure of God. I think we can appreciate Tola and Jer while at the same time try to learn from their weaknesses. They were good, but they weren't perfect. They were good men, but they weren't perfect. Like everybody else we're studying, man or woman. Next week it's going to be a woman. But either man or woman, the people that we're studying weren't perfect. We can learn from what they teach us from the good things, but also from their weaknesses. Their lives teach us that we can respect and learn from those around us. But we should always keep our eyes and our hearts focused on Jesus Christ. That's what their lives teach us. We can learn from the good. We can learn from the mistakes. But we need to always keep our eyes and our hearts focused on Jesus Christ. We always need to, he needs to be first in our lives. Listen, when the Christians around you who you look up to disappoint you, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Pray for them. Okay? Pray for those people and realize your ultimate example, the person you should be following in your life, is Jesus Christ. So when the people around you fall short, don't lose hope, don't turn on God, don't stop going to church, any of those things. Just pray for them, because they're like Tola or Jer. Pray for them, and then keep your eyes and your heart focused on your ultimate example, Jesus Christ. He won't let you down. Because he, he wasn't just good, he was perfect. And that's how I want to close this morning. I want to remember our ultimate example, the one who never lets us down, Jesus Christ. And I want to do that by taking communion. I'm going to be reading. Here's how it's going to work. Because I want everyone to feel really comfortable. If you're here for the first time, feel really comfortable, okay? I'm going to tell you exactly how this is going to work, all right? First, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse starting in verse 23. After I'm finished reading, I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup. When I'm finished praying, okay, you can get up, go to the back. The tables are set in the back. You don't have to wait for anyone else. After I'm done praying, you can go take the elements, the bread and the cup. You can come sit back down in your chair. You can pray up here. That's totally fine. If you don't know, uh, if, you're, if you're not a member of Grace Chapel, you can still take communion here, okay? You can still take communion. The only thing I ask is that you know, the Bible says that you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. Now, if you don't, you're saying, well, it's my first time ever going to church. I mean, it's pretty cool. I like it, but I don't know what you're really talking about. And what I want you to do is I want you to sit in your chair, relax, and pray. You know, just talk to God. It's cool. No one is going to know who's getting up and who's not getting up. All right? No one's keeping track. No one's going to know if you got up or didn't get up. So you just sit, relax, and pray. And if you know Christ, you're more than welcome to take communion with us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper... 
He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can spend together learning more about you through your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our ultimate example, who is not only good, but is perfect. And we thank you for his body, which was given for us, sacrificed for us, that we could come into a personal relationship with you, a body that was sacrificed on the cross willingly, that we could then come into a relationship, we could have a relationship with the living God. Father, we thank you for this cup which represents his blood, which was shed for us. Father, thank you that through his blood shed on a cross, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can have a personal relationship with you. We can talk to you. We can pray to you and you hear us because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This is no small task. And it's no small event or privilege that we have to be able to come into your presence and talk to you. Thank you because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can enter into your presence and we can talk to you like your children. Have a conversation with our daddy. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together and pray that you would just help us to become the men and women you've created us to be. Help us to be a remnant. Help us to follow the example of those who've come before us. But most of all, Help us to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As the Spirit leads, you can get up and take communion and you can bring it back to your seat. Time that we can spend together. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of our faith. Who teaches us what it means to truly be holy and set apart. Father, we thank you for the examples you've given us throughout your word. The simple examples, the short stories. I pray, dear God, that we would, with all of our hearts, seek to, to know more of your truth to learn more of who you are so we can understand more of who we are and what you expect from us as a remnant. So Lord, we give you our lives this morning as we take communion. We dedicate our lives to you once again and ask that you would use us in a powerful way to minister to the person sitting right next to us, the people in this room, people in our community the people in this country and Lord God the people around this world 
that we would see ourselves as servant leaders, as humble servants, given what we've been given, not to be used for ourselves, to glorify ourselves, but to glorify you and to help change others' lives. So we ask that we use this with all of our hearts in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great, great week.